0: This is plastic denim. It's a privilege to be here again this morning, and I was glad of the opportunity of last night. Those of you who came from your studies uh, over to the student center there and gave me the opportunity to talk about uh, three people that I love in ascending order. Uh, First of all, John MacArthur, and then my wife Sue, and then the Lord Jesus. And... uh, I've really appreciated the the quality of your questions and your thoughtfulness and it was it was a good time And I certainly am very very glad of every opportunity and all the breakfasts and lunches and dinners and as always people have made me very very welcome and I'm humbled at the prospect of being able to do these things and and I certainly don't take them for granted and I'm glad of them. I'd like this morning to uh, enter into territory that I've never addressed with you in direct terms before I've always shied away from it because basically my thinking is that students are sick to death of hearing people talk on this particular subject and so trying my best not to fall foul of that I've stayed away from it but I want to speak to you this morning because I just feel that I I should and that maybe I have something that's helpful to say it certainly won't be new but I do want to talk to you this morning about the subject of relationships and um, all relationships but specifically relationships uh, amongst men and women at least that's where I'll end most of you weren't even born or certainly listening to music uh, when Paul Simon penned the words, which um, came soon after uh, sounds of silence and he wrote a winter's day in a deep and dark December I am alone gazing from my window through the street below at a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow i am a rock i am an island and a rock can feel no pain and an island never cries i've built walls a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate i have no need of friendship friendship causes pain it's laughter and it's loving i disdain i am a rock i am an island not so. There is no question that human relationships, since they form the fabric of our lives, are as important to us as any other thing that we face in our day-to-day routine. And fundamental to all relationships that we have with one another is our relationship with the Lord Himself. And if I was giving a kind of theme verse for this study this morning, I might turn to Psalm 37, verse 4, a verse that I wrestled with for a long time. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And then verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. I can remember as a 19 and 20 year old uh, sitting and looking at Psalm 37 verse 4 and asking the question, what does this mean? Does this mean that if you can manipulate the deity correctly you can pretty well get what you want in terms of uh, your job, your car, your wife or your husband or whatever it might be. Clearly it doesn't mean that. But at the very heart of our understanding of God and His purposes is this important verse, that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, then we discover that He is the one who engenders in us the desires of our hearts, and having created within us godly desires, He is happy to honor them. The other verse that I would turn to would be in the 84th Psalm, where in the second half of verse 11, the psalmist says, No good thing does He, the Lord, withhold." From those whose walk is blameless. There is no good thing that the Lord withholds from those whose walk is blameless. Now, with that as a kind of backdrop, I want to speak to you topically about this issue of relationships for a brief time. Certainly, relationships hold the great potential for happiness, and yet at the same time, substantial grounds for human misery Relationships can give to us uh, a tremendous start to the day and all the expectation that is there and yet can provide for us dreadful, painful, sleepless nights. Relationships are wrapped up by joy when we welcome into our lives the birth of our first child that God should give us that day. Relationships are marked by dreadful pain if they end up being broken and smashed if you have listened to much of the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber you may know the song Tell Me on a Sunday and uh, a powerful poignant song as Webber writes out of the pain of his own two broken marriages as he now is on his third marriage and uh, I won't certainly try and sing the song for you and I'm wary even of quoting the lyrics but it essentially says you know I don't want to hear from you from a friend's apartment take me to a park that's Uh, covered in trees and tell me on a Sunday please Uh, let me down easy no big song and dance just tell me on a Sunday and certainly unrequited love has got to be one of the deepest human emotions to love someone and not to be loved in return to love someone passionately and find that they have given their love to somebody else carries pain such as cannot be fully quantified by anyone who has not experienced it. But I run a wee bit ahead of myself because it is important for us to lay down as the starting point that it is our relationship with God on a vertical axis which determines all of our relationships with other people on a horizontal plane. From the beginning, as the Bible tells us, we were made to enjoy a relationship with God. Man is unique in this capacity, unique from all the other animals, insofar as God created animals for an express purpose, but he gave to man a living soul. And the way in which man was created was not, as some would tell us, as a kind of turbocharged monkey, but rather he was created with the express purpose of knowing God. And that is why in the opening three chapters of the book of the Bible, we have this chronicled for us very, very clearly. And we discover man in the enjoyment of his relationship and how we're told in Genesis chapter 2 that God not only made man, but he made woman out of man and he gave to man and to woman the privilege of their relationship with one another. But all of that was within the context of a relationship with God himself. We know in Genesis chapter 3 that the relationship went tragically wrong. Adam sins and he hides himself from the very God that had made him. And as a result of sin entering into the world, no longer does God walk with man in the cool of the day. But now he is naked and he discovers it and he hides himself and he covers himself not only from his wife but also from God as if he could. And suddenly it is all altered once and for all. So that the world that we know today is not the world the way in which God made it, but is the world the way man has spoiled it. And we live with the tragedy of our humanity hanging over us. We live recognizing that man is capable of creating uh, beautiful hospitals and yet is capable at the same time of creating torture chambers. That man is capable almost of angelic activities and yet at the same time he has the capacity to endeavor to follow all of his brute beast capacity as well. Why is that? The Bible gives an answer that the world is unprepared to accept. It is because man is fallen into sin and that sin has spoiled and sin has spread and sin has separated not only man from God but man from other men and from, I use man generically there, and has separated man from himself. That is why men and women today, described in the book of Ephesians, are without God and without hope in the world. They lay their heads on the pillow at night, not knowing why they exist, from whence they came, where they're going, and whether it really matters. Many of them have been brought up with a completely non-absolutist frame of reference, and they have uh, succumbed to the notion that Sartre was right, that we were born without reason, we prolong ourselves by chance, and we die into a dreadful oblivion. They have bought into the notion that Hemingway was right when he said life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And so all these people drive their cars around the freeways here, They are alienated from God, they are alienated from others, they are alienated from themselves and now they're going to tell the world how to be involved in meaningful human relationships. It just can't happen. It must fall to the church, it must fall to the redeemed to establish the biblical framework for living in the way that God intended and yet what do we find, loved ones? we discover that the statistical analysis both within the church and without the church is beginning to tend to suggest that those who name the name of Christ have so been absorbed by the surrounding culture that we ourselves can hardly be told from the people who are our peers outside of Jesus. So perhaps Tozer is right that the 20th century church is the best disguised of pilgrims that the world has ever seen, and not least of all, when it comes to the matters of relationships between one and another. Now, it is because our relationship with God is fractured by sin that the whole of the Bible is largely a record of how God has made it possible to recover that which Adam lost. And that's the great sweep of human history, that God is a seeking God, he is a redeeming God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said that he came seeking to save that which was lost. He wept over Jerusalem and longed for them to enter into a relationship with himself. Paul says that it is by grace we've been saved and through faith. This is the story of God seeking a relationship with those who are not seeking him. Because the Bible also tells us that there is none that seeketh after God, no, not one. So people are not programmed to seek God. They are not seeking God. Whatever they may be seeking, they're not seeking God. And God, nevertheless, is pursuing a relationship with those who turn their bank on Him. And so when we read the Bible, we discover that those who are redeemed are to the Father, His sons and daughters, are to the Lord Jesus, His inheritance and His flock, are to the Holy Spirit, the temples which He watches over and the relationship with God is always on His terms. He is the Creator, we the creatures. He is holy, we are wicked. And it is He who calls us into a relationship with Himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says in verse 8, Jesus will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God, who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful okay so that's foundational I'm going to assume a knowledge on your part but let me pause before I go on I attended a college that was not dissimilar to this in which you had to profess faith in Jesus Christ to be admitted to the school within the course of three years it became apparent that not all who professed faith in Jesus Christ knew and loved Jesus Christ. They were wobblers, they were shaky, they were flaky, they were eventually nowhere. And I want to ask you this morning as you sit, do you know Jesus Christ personally? You see, your Lord and your Savior... Not asking you, did you manage to complete the form to get into the master's college? I'm asking you if you know Christ personally. And secondly, I want to ask you if you know him progressively. Paul says in Philippians, he says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That longing to know him better. What what kind of relationship is it where we're happy just to tolerate it at the same mediocre level with which it began? There's no relationship worth its salt that we're prepared to settle for that. I'm not. Not with my wife and not with my children. Therefore, why would it ever be with the Lord Jesus himself? Why do I stress this? Because it's foundational. It's the platform upon which everything else is built that I'm now about to say. It builds upon what I endeavored to say yesterday and it is directly related to the kind of fellow you are and the kind of girl you are and what you may potentially bring to a relationship with another person and specifically someone of the opposite sex. So let me say it and leave it. In all of our relationships, our relationship with God comes first. When that goes, Everything else goes with it. It's Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Your relationship with God in Christ affects the kind of child you are with your parents, affects the kind of friend you are in your dorm, affects the kind of employee you are with your employer, and affects the kind of relationship that you will ever establish with someone of the opposite sex. And I've lost count now over 17 years in pastoral ministry of the sad and sorry disappointment seen in the faces of girls and fellows who got sold a bill of goods in their engagement period as a result of somebody being a master at conning them. And when the knot was tied and the ring was exchanged and the marriage was consummated, it became tragically clear that this man or this girl had no interest in a relationship with Christ and therefore was sadly deficient in their relationships with one another. Christian character is revealed in all of our relationships and perhaps nowhere more clearly than in relationships with people of the opposite sex. Relationships are seldom neutral You're either the kind of person in whose company it's easy to be good Or you're the kind of person in whose company it's easy to be bad There are few situations that are neutral And that is also true in relationships between men and women So if you are in a relationship today with somebody No matter how early on in it You ought to be able to determine whether this is a helpful relationship Or an unhelpful relationship Is it possible to determine when a relationship may be unhelpful? Yes, I think it is Well, when? Well, I'm going to tell you This is not an exhaustive list It is a selective list And you may add to it But I don't think you can delete from it You are in an unhelpful relationship with someone of the opposite sex When, number one, that relationship has become your major preoccupation When it has become your total, all-consuming preoccupation. When you now can neither think of anything else, nor concentrate on anything else, nor conceive of anything else, but your brains have been completely blitzed and you are now out of control. You say to me, how did you know how I'm feeling this morning? because I think probably in the beginning of falling head over heels in love whatever that might mean there is little question but that this kind of preoccupation immediately sets in that's why it's very very important to recognize that it may well set in and to realize that you cannot allow it to gain a hold of you it will be an unhelpful relationship secondly when this now has begun to separate me from other people from my friends and my relationships and my pastimes and the things that I loved and all of a sudden it's all going away I can still remember the names and faces of people who did this at the school I attended in London I'm not gonna quote them because it's got a horrible way of going around the world and coming back but uh, I won't even give them fictitious names but I can remember one fellow in particular he played on our soccer team he became the captain of the soccer team He was very, very influential. And then one day he went pathetic on us. Both pathetic à la Française and pathetic à la Americana. And what happened was he told us he fell in love. Well, that was okay, that's fine. But he totally isolated himself from that day on. You used to be able to sit with him at breakfast. Now you couldn't because he sat with her. You used to be able to talk to him in the library, but now you couldn't because she sat with him. They went to the bathroom together. He stood outside the door and held her books, and she stood outside the door and held his books. It was pathetic. and his whole brain was frying and it was an unhelpful relationship it became his major preoccupation it began to separate him from others you couldn't get at the guy you couldn't get at the girl and incidentally whenever you do that in a dating relationship let me warn you because when that relationship ends as there is a fair chance it will you look like the village idiot sitting in the, in the dining room because it's now X months since you ever spoke to anybody. And you built this little uh, uh, nuclear free zone around yourself. And people knew we got to back off because I think, I think they're talking to one another. Sure. Now all of a sudden we come in and now you're on your own. But we don't know what to say because we're frightened you've got her hidden under the table or whatever it is. We don't know what in the world's happened. Thirdly, it is an unhelpful relationship with someone of the opposite sex when it hinders your spiritual development. Now, I'm not being pious about this, and this is, not, this is not airy-fairy stuff here. You know what spiritual development is. You know when you're developing spiritually. You know when you're not. You know why you're not. And you'll know if it's a relationship with a girl or a guy that's getting between you and making progress with Christ. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work that out. You don't need to have served two terms on the mission field to know that something has happened here. And what you used to call your quiet time and what you now call your quiet time are two very different things. You understand what I mean? And it begins to impede your own spiritual development. We're studying 1 Corinthians at the moment in our church. In the evenings, we've been doing 1 Corinthians 7. And I've been trying my best to understand why it is that Paul keeps saying, I basically think singleness is a lot better. Because that's the message of 1 Corinthians 7. He says it all again. He says, you know, it is a gift from God. You shouldn't try it if you haven't got it. But if you've got it, man, that's fantastic. Of course, if you've got the marriage gift, that's fantastic as well. But there is no question that he leans towards singleness. He does. Why? because he is consumed with seeing men and women having an unhindered devotion to Jesus Christ. That is the apex of it for him, that you would get a man, you would get a girl, and they were unreservedly committed to Jesus Christ. And so he says all along, you know, he says, if you get yourself a wife, you've got a problem. You've got concerns. You've got troubles. You've got all kinds of things going on. But if you don't have her, you can devote yourself to the Lord. Now think it out. It's true. It's true if I were here on my own then I wouldn't have to worry about where my boy is right now how much money he's spending over in that shop I gotta think about him and I and then I have to phone home I have to phone home and uh... I was just a Freudian slip and uh... And then I have to check on Michelle. I have to check on Emily. I have to check if the thing and the whole deal. And and so there is no question. What he says is right. I'm divided. I'm divided. I want to be committed to Christ, but I'm divided. Because I've got to take care of these affairs. Whereas if I didn't, but of course God didn't give me that gift. And so I don't need to worry about it. This is where I am. But I want to say to some of you, those of you who've got this notion in your mind that singleness is somehow a kind of second-class citizenship on this quick pilgrimage from here to here, it is not. It is not. And some of the most effective people in the kingdom of Christ have been those to whom God has not given the privilege of marriage and the opportunity of marriage and the responsibility of marriage. So let nobody convince you that you must have these things. There is no question that God intended marriage as the basis for human society. But what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 is coming pretty clear to me. And he says, I want you to be unreservedly devoted to Jesus Christ. Therefore, if that is the apex of his desire, if I have a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, as soon as that relationship hinders my spiritual development, it becomes an unhelpful relationship. And I want to tell you that family, and this is going to sound like a heresy, but family is one of the greatest things at the moment impeding the cause of Jesus Christ. Family is now the great altar at which the Christians worship. I'm sorry, I won't be able to become a missionary because of my family. Excuse me, hang on a second, wasn't there a thing, um, didn't somebody come up with this deal, you know, unless you hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and stuff and, and follow me, you can't be my disciple? No I don't, I, I, no I think I think that's uh, from the, 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 the Koran, no it ain't from the Koran buddy, that was Jesus of Nazareth, He said that. Oh sorry, I, I won't be able to make the prayer time, you know, I, 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 I have a son, I, I understand you've got a son. But your relationship with your son Is not your first relationship Do you realize that? It's your relationship with God Hey, don't give me that guilt trip I'm sorry We won't be at evening service ever again We have, quote Family time Oh yeah, tell me about family time What do you do? Well, basically I fall asleep Reading the Sunday newspaper And my wife runs around Like a chicken with her head cut off Trying to satisfy the needs Of everyone else in the family Two of the kids argue with one another And one gets sent to their bedroom And then we end the day Rejoicing in family You say, what, are you are, are you trying to get uh, Dr. Dobson's spot or something? No, no. I'm just trying to redress a balance here. You know how many things you can't do in a church and there's many things you can't do because of the, quote, problem of family. I don't think the problem is the neglect of family anymore. I think the problem is the deification of family became an idol at which we bow down and worship. I can't give myself unreservedly to Jesus Christ. Why not? I've got a relationship. Yeah, I understand you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think it out. Think it out, you're sensible people Fourthly, it is an unhelpful relationship At least some of you are Fourthly, it's an unhelpful relationship When it comes between us and the Lord That's the same thing Fifthly, it is an unhelpful relationship When the attraction is purely physical You know the song by Rod Stewart The chorus goes You're in my heart, you're in my soul You'll be my When I grow old you are my lover. You're my best friend. Da 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 da. And in the verse of the song, I remember singing. I remember him singing because I want to tell you that the attraction is purely, purely physical. Then he sings, You're in my heart. You're in my soul. I don't believe him. I don't believe him. And I want to say to you beware, beware of the cosmopolitan trap. Beware of the identikit 20th century consummate woman. Beware of Mr. Hunkaroo, whoever he is. Beware of that stuff. Beware of it like the plague. I'm going to tell you what you should look for in a husband just a minute, girls. And I'm going to tell you guys what you should look for in a wife. I basically believe in arranged marriages now (laughs) And I'm arranging them I told my son You will not be dating Somebody asked him already this week Do girls feature in your life? I said no (laughs) Then I said yeah they do Plural Girls are in his life But no girl is in his life Okay, He thinks that I won't let him date Until he's 30 <laughs> I told him there is no reason To consider rushing things like that <laughs> My girls My girls are 11 and 10 I already read the newspaper ads For dogs I look in the newspaper For pinchers German Shepherds, Rottweilers, the whole deal. I am putting two turrets at the end of my driveway. It's not long, but I don't care. The dogs will be there and I will hire people to, to beat off horrible young men from my house. <laughs> because I didn't trust me when I was 19 so why in the world do you think I'm going to trust you? (laughs) and I am afraid of this total physical preoccupation girls I want to say something to you John Stott said this he said girls you better be careful about the way you dress because it is one thing for you to make yourselves attractive it is another thing for you to make yourselves seductive. And you girls know the difference. And so do we men. Don't buy into this nonsense. It's an unhelpful relationship when it becomes my major preoccupation, when it separates me from others, when it hinders my spiritual development, when, when it comes between me and Jesus, and when the attraction is physical. And let me say this to you. When you begin to be friendly with someone Never assume that a friendship Has to be more than a friendship when it begins Never assume that a friendship Has to be more than a friendship when it begins Don't put yourself in Don't put your head in that noose That's foolishness Do you know many people get married And they never even dated? They don't even know one another And so what you're dealing with In the first 24 months of their marriage Is you're trying to introduce them to each other and it's a dreadful predicament. Now, let me tell you what to look for in a husband. You ready for this, girls? Okay, this is going to spoil some things around this college, I know. And uh, But that's all right. That's okay. I will stay around for two more days and uh, that way you can just run up and scream at me and uh, if you choose to. Again, this list is selective. It's not exhaustive. This is my list. It's not God's list. I think in looking for a husband you ought to look for someone and incidentally foundational to this is we're not talking about even the remotest possibility of marrying somebody who is not a Christian that's axiomatic 1st Corinthians 6 we're not we're not even considering that okay so that's out now you ought to look for a husband for in a husband somebody who has the ability to lead with sensitive boldness the ability to lead with sensitive boldness and every word in that statement is important because I wrote... no, every word in that statement is important okay lead, boldness, sensitivity do you know how many guys have got this notion of leadership which is some kind of autocratic, domineering, pig-headed deal where they think they just order people, bring my socks, the blue ones, please okay And the girl says, blow them out your ear. (laughs) And he goes and tells his pastor and the pastor brings her in and counsels her about a submissive spirit. Meanwhile, he just did a major side jump. Okay, I don't think that Adam was in the Garden of Eden with Eve going, hey, put the daffodils there where I told you, would you? (laughs) Hey, Eve. Move these trees. I told you that on Tuesday. Get them over here where I told you. (laughs) And you see the thing in here. A helpmate. Fit for me. And squeeze me a little more juice, would you, as I relax? (laughs) Somewhere along the line somebody got the idea that this kind of pig headed model was the epitome of biblical leadership. It is absolutely not. How many American men do you know share in taking the lead in rinsing the dishes and putting them in the dishwasher? How many times have you seen your father take a vacuum cleaner? I haven't seen it happen many times, not in America. No, the American model is somewhat different. Let me tell you, girls, you don't want one of those big, fat, executive bellies. You do not. You don't want it. And if he's even got the start of one of them, from sitting around, giving orders, and eating too much food, forget him. You'll see him around the campus. He eats pizza all the time. He's, he's on his way. All right? Secondly, secondly, <laughs> Master's College and Domino's Pizza. Yes, here we have it. You've got the problem right on your wall for crying out loud. Secondly, you better look for a man who has the ability to love sacrificially. To love sacrificially. Because that's the way that Jesus said that. Men would love their wives, bless you. Alright. Isn't it hard when you have to try and catch it? Just comes right out your eyeballs. Ding! I have to hurry up because I want to tell the man about the girls, but listen. You know this stuff about you know bit, tough guys don't cry, uh, and men men don't ask directions when they're lost.
1: <laughs>
0: if I tell you, if you're, I'm going to give you a word of advice here. If you're dating somebody and they and this character is driving you somewhere and he gets lost, refuses to admit he is lost, and refuses to roll down the window, pull in at a gas station or go in a Dunkin' Donuts get out of the jolly car and leave him because he's absolutely useless. He's useless. Because he's not humble enough to say, I'm blooming well lost. And if he can't admit he's lost when you're just out on a date, don't think he's going to admit much once you get married to this creature. Thirdly, thirdly, What to look for in a husband? Somebody who is able to leave his family behind. Someone who loves his family but he leaves his family behind. Doesn't bring his mother with him on trips. In other words, don't marry a mummy's boy. I don't mean that. Someone who doesn't love his mom. I love my mother. My mother was a trip. She was a blast. She was a funny, funny lady. I'm glad that before she died prematurely as I saw it at the age of 46 that I had a relationship with her that was... That was uh, sensible and, and fun and I and I have all the recollections of that, but you know the difference between somebody who genuinely cares for his parents and somebody who, who when he you know when he goes on a trip and he's with a soccer team, his mother comes down to the coach you know and as the thing is pulling away, she's coming along the side, tapping on the window, going, "Do you have your socks? Do you have your socks? And, and then three pairs. Do you have three pairs? You know." And it's okay if the kid's going, Get her out of here! But if he's going, Yes, Mom. Yes, Mom. Yes, Mom. Then I suggest cut it off right there. Right there. Don't even be here when the coach pulls back in. Go to another college or something. Don't be here. You don't want that guy. Fourthly, you need in a husband... This is out of control, isn't it? You need... Don't tell Dr. MacArthur about this. We, we won't take it. You need in a husband a guy who is able to laugh heartily and mostly at himself. Okay? If the guy doesn't see things funny in himself including his face then you've got a problem. You've got a problem. Fifthly, you want to find a man as your husband who is committed to living Prayerfully. In other words, he has a humble dependence upon God. Now we've got two minutes left, so I'll just tell you what to look for in a wife. Fellows. Oh, maybe I won't. All right. (laughs) Whoever shouted out, it's his fault. We'll wrap it up, though, here. What to look for in a wife? Look for a lady who has a beauty that is deeper than her skin. Okay, First Peter, the imperishable jewel of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Not talking now about personality type because the Peter isn't. We're not talking about whether this girl is an introvert or an extrovert. We're talking about whether she is a dominating little hussy. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Now, if any of those words are sinful, they're not in Britain, okay? You can't, you, you don't... I mean, if you've got to go through five layers to get to her cheekbones, beware, all right? Okay. Is that, a, is that, a, is that a, uh, some kind of a sexist statement? Because if it is, let me just flip it around. If you've got to go through five layers of clear soul to get to his cheekbones, you ought to be careful there, all right? Secondly, you ought to look for in a wife, and I wish I could spend longer on the first, but the girls, I'm glad that I can. You ought to look for a girl who is an initiative taker willing to submit. An initiative taker willing to submit. Not a wallflower. Well, whatever you want. Well, whatever you would like. I'm a very submissive person. Yeah, so I see. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't think you want that. You don't want that. You need initiative. It's, it's, this thing's a partnership. You know, you, you can't be thinking up everything, guys. That's not leadership. Well, I thought we might go here. Well, whatever you want. Well, I thought we might take a trip. Well, whatever you want. Well... I can't live with that, and I don't think you should. Okay, you need you need. There's got to be there's got to be some chemistry there. The girl's got to be initiative taker, but she's willing to submit. For example, when she initiates the no, the notion of replacing all the drapery in the entire house for uh, six thousand three hundred dollars, that is initiative. Now we're going to test the submission side of it. Okay. All right. All right. Thirdly, thirdly, uh, you got to look for in a wife a, a, a lady. A girl who has a behavior that builds confidence. Behavior that builds confidence. This incidentally is a a two-way one because you better look for it in a guy as well. If the guy can't hold your gaze, if when he speaks to you, he's always watching here, there and everywhere, if he is always checking other girls out while he's supposedly talking to you, be really, really careful. And the same is true with a girl. You You need to find in a girl a girl who builds confidence. In terms of of her yes being yes and her no being no, her standards being firm, her life being clear, these things are really, really important because she's going to be one day if things go along this line, the mother to your children. Fourthly, you should look for in a girl a kindness that touches other people's lives. Now, it may be that the man is kinder than the woman in the relationship, but... Probably not. And if you are a kind of callous person at all, then you're going to need a really kind wife. And so you ought to look for kindness. What am I saying there? You ought to look for the kind of person that picks up squirrels, you know, in the road and everything like that. Um, No, not necessarily. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I just mean kindness. The way she speaks when the person is gone the way she deals with children, the way she deals with old people, and the same is true both sides, but a kindness that touches others. And finally, in the same vein, you ought to look for a girl who has a humor that braves adversity. A humor that braves adversity. I personally think the ability to laugh is absolutely vital. (laughs) And certainly this talk this morning had to be an indication of that, but uh, um, because it's kind of tough. Do you you ever read the story... um, the Ragman By Walter Wangren. Did you ever read that The Ragman and, and other tales of faith Or whatever it was There's a great story in there About the importance of humor And I'll use it to end let me, let me say this Because I can't deal with all of this You better keep sex in its place Where's the place for sex Never before you're married And after you're married Only with your wife Or with your husband It's, it's absolutely fabulous If you do it this way And if you don't It will be hell on earth Okay You should do it this way because God said. And because God said, we wouldn't be surprised that it works really well. And when we mess with His instructions, we get things really fouled up. There is no such thing as safe sex because there is no such thing as safe sin. So do things the way God said and only the way God said in terms of it. Make sure that you don't isolate any dimension of... uh, of, your, of marriage and ar- arrogate it into the, into the here and now. Leave marriage for marriage. That is a different thing altogether. Appoint moral sentries in your dating relationships. Be disciplined with one another. Do things that are profitable together. Don't lie on the floor and listen to CDs because you might start crawling all over each other. Be honest with God and with yourself about what your problems are and what they're not don't allow others to make you feel inadequate if right now you don't have a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex because after all that may be God's best plan and purpose for you. Now here comes the humorous story from the book. Here it is. He tells a story of how he and his wife would get in arguments with one another. And when they got in arguments with one another, he had a standard practice. They lived in a small apartment and when they got in a big bust up he would grab his coat, hit the hit out the door, slam the door, down the stairs and he would walk around the block until he managed to get kind of calmed down and then he would come back up the stairs. So, they have an argument. It's the evening. He grabs his coat. He puts it on. He walks out of the apartment. He slams the door. He goes to walk away and he's stuck in the door. Okay? His coat is caught in the door, jammed in the hinge. It's raining cats and dogs outside. So he has two alternatives. Either he slips the coat off him and leaves it lying in the apartment hallway or he has to knock the door and let his wife open the door, the wife with whom he's just been having this dreadful argument. So he, out of a sense of self-preservation in relationship to the rain because he's planning on being out there a while, he determines that he will knock the door. But he knows when he knocks the door and she opens it there's just there's just no saying what's going to happen and there's a more than even chance that she's going to think it's really funny and So he knocks the door and she opens it and as she opens it she sees him stuck like this and she just starts to laugh She's just laughing uncontrollably. Ha <laughs> ha! I can't believe it. Look at that. Isn't that fun? Isn't that terrific and he says what Wangren says and in that moment and in that moment There was the great potential for reconciliation because really it was funny. But he said, I chose not to laugh. I grabbed my coat. I slammed the door and I walked back out into the rain. I can not tell you the pain, the tragedy, the mess that one has to deal with in pastoral ministry on a daily, weekly basis because I presume somebody never leveled with young people or young people never listened or young people never leveled with themselves or never leveled with each other. I tell you again, marriage is capable of the heights of greatest joy and of the depths of human sorrow. Make sure that you give 100% attention your relationship with God in Christ. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. There is no good thing which the Lord will withhold from those who walk uprightly. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for your love and goodness to us. Thank you that the Bible is a practical book and I pray that what is of yourself and true to your word today may be etched into our lives. That what is extraneous and irrelevant and unprofitable may be banished from our thinking. I pray that you will preserve these young people and bring them forth as gold to live in undivided devotion to you, their Lord and King. Thank you for these days. Thank you for each other. Thank you for the privilege of being here, both as student and as teacher and as servant. May great grace be upon us all. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen.